Charlie, I don't know how to say the last name, but we're rolling with it. Uh, we are going to get into maybe some arguments, maybe some debates. Who knows? Uh, going to get into some marketing talk right after a quick word from our sponsors. What's up, everybody? This is John and Casey from ModCom, and I have to show you something. All right. This tool is called Wicked Reports. It's one of the best attribution tools I've ever seen because of this feature called Funnel Vision. It breaks up your ROAS into top, middle, and bottom of funnel. So I'm here in my Facebook ads account and checking out this campaign, V Day Sale. I'd probably be cutting this thing, right? If I was looking in Ads Manager or if I was looking at First Touch Attribution, I'd be like, you suck. 0.18 ROAS you're out. Uh, but if I look at it middle funnel, it's like one of the best closers. If I look at it bottom of funnel, it's one of the best closers. So that campaign is closing. I got to keep it running. I got to adjust the targeting in there and I got to adjust the creative in there. You know what I'm saying, Casey? John, if you look at the top campaign here, this four pack lob rolls, uh, you can see actually the exact opposite effect. It's, it's bringing people into the account, into this world really effectively, but it's not that closing type. So you kind of need a little bit of both, right? Like this is Can't the Kobe. Close. One you described as the shack, together they make beautiful harmony in your ad account. Yeah, that one's lobbing it up. The other one's throwing it down. If you want to find out which of your campaigns are Kobe's, which ones are Shaq's, and which ones you should just cut entirely, don't even give them a roster spot, go to wickedreports.com and click the book a demo button. And we are back. Charlie, it is good to have you here. Uh, I I feel like already you're just ready to argue with me about our ad read and everything. Um, but but before we get into that, <laughs> give people a little bit of a background on you, um, and and tell me. So one thing I I, I have trying to been be ask every guest be asking be asking every guest lately is tell me how you make money. Yeah, I think. The way that I make money more than anything else is by helping people make success easier. I make the easy easy and really help people see more success and less stress from my experience having driven over a billion in revenue. And I've got students in six continents, nobody in Antarctica yet, but maybe soon, maybe after this pod, we'll get somebody. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really the bulk of what I do is I basically help other people create opportunities and find the success that they deserve. Right. Um, so specifically, I mean, give a little plug for your products really quick or your product go to. Yeah. I mean, my number one thing is I run a business called Disruptor School where you can learn from me and a lot of other experts in the space on learning business development, Facebook ads, digital marketing, all the things that you need to gain the independence to, uh, really kind of chase what you're trying to do. And uh, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of deep dives in there, a lot of fun things. I won't get too deep into it, but um, yeah, if everything else isn't working out for you and you want to take control of yourself, so you never have to pay anybody else ever again, there's a solution for that. And that's why I'm here for. Oh, what an interesting segue because of what we're talking about today with agency. But before we get into that, again, uh, my kind of whole shtick on this show is like, you know, the unpopular truths, which we'll get into your unpopular truth Awful. in a minute. I know you got, that's like all you have. I don't think you have any popular opinions. Somebody uh, called me like, if I wanted to be the villain, I could. Somebody told me that yesterday in a text message. I'm like, am I really the villain? I feel way more like Katniss. I think you're, wow. That's what you feel. I think you're definitely... Uh, you're like a Gale, you know what I mean? Like, you, like controvert, like you're like, I'm not afraid to do what needs to be done, you know? Sure. Um, I'll speak truth to power all day. Yeah. So, so I would say, uh, so, so before we get into that though, tell me, tell me like the biggest misuse of your products or services or just somebody who like, isn't really a good fit. Yeah. I think the biggest misuses is when people come to learn from me. And ultimately, they expect for that to be a way to validate their line of thinking that got them there. I think the biggest opportunity we have is to change the way that people think so that they can change the way that they work and ultimately get their time back and work on the business instead of in the business. And changing that list of priorities in people's heads is often the most difficult spot. And the people that come in to basically have me say that they were right all along, well, it's like going to a couple's counselor so that they can yell at your spouse. Like that's just not productive. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so 
before we get too into it too, if you guys are watching on the live stream, either on YouTube, LinkedIn, or on the Twitter space, uh, if you have questions through myself for myself or Charlie throughout the episode, drop them into the comments or the chat, wherever you're watching, we will get to them at the end. We're, I'm going to try and get a cleanly recorded episode so we can upload it to the podcasting apps. All right. Next thing, next little segment I like to do. Tell me an unpopular opinion you have about business or I mean, you can go for, I, I like to say an unpopular truth, right? Like it's like, this isn't really an opinion. Like this is just something that like really nobody else wants to tell you. And I know you got a lot of these. So hit me with your Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll cap it off with, I think the reason that most people aren't nearly as successful as they want to be is because they value the wrong metrics. They ask the wrong questions and ultimately define success in a way that holds them back. And almost every problem that I run into with somebody is where they were successful because of something that, that they were good at, but ultimately the reason they can't get bigger is because of one of those issues. Now it might be they value silly things like targeting or ROAS or MER, or they might be focusing on other like obnoxious things like pushing their attribution models and trying to change all sorts of other stuff. They might be, you know, focused on LTV when their biggest issue is a second purchase rate or customer retention. I think people are just so myopically focused on whatever screenshot somebody put up out of context that is doing better than them comparing themselves to other people's outsides. Um, so I think that's the biggest point, pain point in coming in is just people are, again, asking the wrong questions, valuing the wrong metrics and defining success in a way that ultimately inhibits their potential. Tell me about your background with, uh, tell me a little bit about your background with drugs. So I was a touring musician and radio personality and addict for about 10 years, basically summer after high school for about a decade. Uh, and it got as bad as, uh, regular everyday intravenous heroin user. I smoked a lot of meth, did a lot of things there. It's easy for me to list off the things that I didn't do than it is for me to list off the things that I did do. Um, and I think I got a lot of skills and life lessons from all of that. And I've tried <laughs> to turn those into positives. And I mean, hey, look, we're in digital marketing. Yeah. Convincing absolute strangers to give you their money is at the core of what we do. And if there's one thing that a good self-respecting junkie can handle, it's that. So I got a lot of life experience. And, uh, but yeah, so I now have 11 years clean and sober from that stuff. Um, don't drink, don't smoke, eat way too much sugar. But, uh, you <laughs> I mean, know, you know, if, if that's the biggest vice, then I think that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my vices these days. Uh, yeah. food. Cause I can eat. What, uh, how did you get into it? Um, acceptance from others. Mm -hmm. I wasn't cool. The cool people did things. I had a little bit more money than the other folks did because I was like working jobs and I was hustling even at like, I mean, in T-ball, I was the number one candy bar salesman. And so I got a free Huffy every year. And I like, no matter what it was, I always, I always had the, always had the hustle, always had the grind, always had that like thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So summer after high school, I was hanging out with friends and, uh, well, I could be the guy that would get the 12 pack, get the bottle, get the bag, whatever. And as that grew, I knew that, Hey, if I showed up with something to give everybody, people would like me at a very surface level, but I was a really insecure person. Nobody liked anyway. Mm. So that grew into physical dependency and identity issues. And I basically just covered all the things that were wrong with me by trying to fix it and all the other parts of other people. And um, well, that leaves you extraordinarily empty. And, uh, but for what it's worth, uh, you know, it was effective for me to kind of figure out a, a pathway. Now, not a good one, but mm -hmm. I definitely developed an identity where I hadn't had one before. What, uh, do you, I mean, so, so tell me about the identity that you developed. Like, so, I mean, you got into that whole, this whole thing really because you had a hard time, like with acceptance with people, you know, like, yeah. didn't have friends and that's important at that age. And I think that, you know, 
as adults, sometimes we age into it being a little less important to us. Like we kind of sure. care less what other people think as, as we get a little older or we get a tight circle of people who are like, I only care what you think. Like, I don't care what everyone else thinks type of thing. Um, but like, that seems like the self work that you would have to do to get past that. So, I mean, tell me about that. Like, did you just have to get to a point where you're just like, I don't need to be accepted if it means being, no, I mean, I gave up because my girlfriend that I was living with got went to rehab and basically abandoned me. Mm -hmm. And then my dealer wouldn't let me do drugs at his house anymore because apparently I was buying too much. Mm -hmm. And I was shaking so bad from like DTs that I couldn't shoot myself up anymore. And my options are basically jails, institutions, or death. And um, I gave up. But it took a decade of that where... I mean, I own a five bed. I owned a five bedroom house. I bought it with my student loan money in college, mm -hmm. and like I wasn't even welcome in my home with people that weren't paying rent. And I was like breaking into my own house. I gotten maybe a dozen DUIs because in Florida it's like a fine. Like they don't like it's not like California where it like matters. And uh, you know, so those things all piled up. You know what I mean? And but that's kind of at some point what gets you to where you are, right? And, and right. some people decide to go other routes, but um so I'm like a fucking cockroach man i mean yeah so so okay. what happened so tell me a little bit about your because you just did a video about this on youtube so i yeah um, kind of plugging that so if you, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, check absolutely. out charlie's youtube which is uh at ct disruptor right yeah um he has a video about this but but give me the quick rundown on how you i mean at some point like you could not like physically even do drugs anymore like without having someone else who would who would shoot you up so you... yeah and then that person wouldn't do it anymore because apparently i was buying too many drugs at his dad's house right and so then it's like uh what does too many drugs even mean i mean bro i i get it this is enough for three people but i have a habit so yeah. like don't judge me don't you're judge the dude selling me you're the selling drug. it too let's not get on a fucking high horse here <laughs> yeah so uh you just, I mean, you go to rehab, what put you on this career path of, of running ads for people? And like, why is that? Like, do you think it is so, so to me, I mean, this is a world where it's just very much like there's a thrill. The first, I mean, like, I remember the first time I ran a campaign and like, I spent some money, you know, I spent a hundred bucks, 500 bucks, something like that. And then like something happened because of it. Like, yeah. Oh, we made fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars or something like that or we got like all of these for me it was like uh, i was running a local retail store and we spent a few hundred bucks and we got like so many people to this live event at our store and we did like 15 10 or 15 grand in sales that day so the roi on it was insane but it's a little bit different when you're doing like get them to an event and sure you can bake them a little bit better with a retail store but uh yeah like it, i mean I remember that like that's almost like there's like a little hit there of dopamine i think maybe not to the degree uh as heroin the same degree as heroin but uh, probably not but it's it's not terribly dissimilar like yeah i mean it's yeah you're filling the parts of you with stuff yeah right it was i think it gives you the self-worth right like because yeah because you you were looking for your own identity and self-worth in something else right yeah and and then you gave that up but that didn't mean that you weren't still you didn't still have that hole you're trying to fill exactly. and so then so then you learn like oh i can do this other thing like i can make rain like once you realize like i can make rain yeah uh that starts to give you self self-worth as well and and Ooh. i think you know back to your point earlier about you know kind of your unpopular opinion that there's just a lot of people out there that give you know poor advice or or advice that like they just have egos. It's because of that, right? It's because they've created this self-worth that like, I'm a I'm a rainmaker. I can make rain. I've made rain before. Uh, I've made campaigns that make money before. So like, it's, it's very hard to kind of like swallow that and say like, but I'm not able to do it anymore because it's not just a matter of like, oh, let me, you know, have no ego and be humble and, and learn. It's more of like, a, this is my identity. This is the way yeah. I self-identified myself, right? And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that all that to say that I think that it's a pretty, it, it is a relatively natural career path. There's probably other ones as well. Um, but yeah, I mean. I mean, I think, I mean, ultimately there is some juice to it. It's exciting. Like, I mean, I combined a lot of the, what I would consider like commodity skills over the course of my life to that point. Yeah. I was able to combine them into some sort of undeniable value. 
And I also put myself in situations where like, I mean, I got my first gig in social media. It was my first real day job. I was like 29 years old, $10 an hour data entry at some agency. Mm -hmm. I got fired within three months. I took their biggest client with me. I started another agency. We won the pitch on AMC, got fired from that job. Even though I started the company because my vice president was like also the con was uh was the, the attorney that wrote the contract and basically was like as soon as we got 100 flowers signed on the dotted line I was no longer an employee, uh exactly. and then got a job running paid ads for like Jamba Juice and stuff because I was running stuff for my own band after a guy fired me because he put 100 bucks into Facebook so I started putting my credit card into Facebook and running things. Six months later I was filling up like Comic Con speaking events for Jay and Silent Bob. Nine months later I was running a million a day for like CBS and Nissan. And I got to the point where I could make a show win sweeps. I could sell out, I could book every day, morning till night at car dealerships to do test drives of a car that hadn't come out yet. I could make a right. video game, the number one title in the country. Like I had direct control. And when you're spending seven figures a day, like you see the impact of that stuff pretty quickly. And it was also, a really bad employee. Like I was constantly running case studies where they wouldn't allowed. And I was sharing it in a way that was frowned upon heavy in that establishment. And I got fired from agency and agency and agency. But as a result, I got to learn from the smartest people in the room from like a dozen different rooms. And that's kind of gave me a great perspective on why I was a bad employee at the agencies, why I was good on the brand side, and ultimately why a lot of the service providing roles that people take running ads for people was ultimately um not simpatico with the end results of that business like yeah the first time i got fired from a major agency i got written up and fired basically because i was saving the client two hundred thousand dollars a day in media spend and over delivering on the ass mm -hmm. which sounds like a good thing except when you understand that we had a commission of 20 percent on ad spend so I effectively cost three or four times <laughs> my annual salary in a week. Yeah, right, right. Uh, yes. So I, and that's what I want to get into. I want to get into agencies and and something I tweeted a little while back. Uh, yeah. That that got me some heat. It got I felt I felt like you for a day. Uh, it got me some heat. <laughs> that was good. It's good. Good to feel like Charlie for a day. That's about all of it I can handle. Don't um, take more than that. Not suggested yeah. to, to do many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, and it got some heat uh, before. And, and essentially what I said was, uh, what were the, what was the exact words I said? I think I said something along the lines of you and your agency's incentives will never be fully aligned. Uh, at yeah. best, it can work for a little while. Now, I want to get into that because you actually disagreed with me, which I was like, okay, I expected a lot of people. Yeah, to no, I loved it because I thought, you, I thought but, like you were expecting me to come in like with a like fully backing you up and. Yeah, you're like. Yeah, I think you I were think like, hey, good job bringing some smoke. Yeah, you're like, good job bringing some smoke, but I don't agree. Um, <laughs> so, so I do want to get into that, uh, but but first, I want to close this out, and I want to say. Uh, you know, you kind of had this thing where your self-identity was, uh, you know, being the kid who could bring the bring the bag, right? Yeah. And, and that's how you got into drugs and you got out of that and you got into this self-identity of like, I'm the guy who can make rain. I can make your video game number one. I can sell out my, you know, I can sell out concert tickets. I can sell out an event. What's your self-identity now? I think my self-identity now, if what I hope it is, is the guy that after a long time of being in this industry is maybe one of the first people that is actually honest with others mm -hmm. with a path that simplifies work so they can be more successful. I mean, honestly, my biggest hope is I went from having to worry about my money being food, drugs, or like gas in my car to I'm going to buy a place in Chelsea in two months. I already bought a house in LA. Like, yeah. I'm providing opportunity in a way where literally anybody else can do it. But I see so many people suffer at the hands of these agencies and these bad and the bad advice that if I can be the person that comes in and makes takes that person from a place of stress and uncertainty to success and providing opportunity, that's that puts that lets me put my head down on the pillow at, at the end of the day in a great place. So 
if I can ultimately be a conduit to provide more opportunity and joy and like confidence and success for people, then I'm giving back with my like living amends in a way where every single day I'm making the world a little bit of a better place yeah. by teaching people from the literally hundreds of millions of dollars of mistakes that I've made. And somebody should do that. So tell me why you disagree with me that uh, the agency model will never fully be aligned with the client's revenue model or the, the why will the, what I, you know, my statement was your agency will never be fully aligned with you at best. It will work for a short period of time. Tell me why you disagree with that statement. I think it goes down to the contracts. I think the average agency contract looks like one of three things. First it's commission on ad spend with a retainer, which objectively means my job as an agency has nothing to do with your success as a company. It's yeah. how much credit for everybody else's work can I take so that you look good to your boss so that I can get a bigger check so that I can make a bigger commission for my boss. My job is to make the person that hired me look good to the person that writes the check, nothing to do with success of the business. Um, and to be fair, that also leans into part number two, which is, if it is working, but not growing fast enough, it's now not a good investment for the agency to give you the best quality help because right. we have you. Now I've got five other clients that want to come in. If I bring in four more, five more clients, my book billings as an agency is going to go up. But if I give them the low rent talent, we're not going to do as well. So as soon as I get you into that second contract, okay, you did the 90 day, great. We're going to sign on for six months. Here's your new account manager because it's not cost effective for me to put my best work on somebody else where I'm not going to make more money. Mm -hmm. So as an investment banker, I don't want to put my assets in retaining a relationship where I'm not going to see more increasing value. So you have that issue. And then I think the third side of it is most agencies are not sophisticated enough in their understanding of financials to legitimately point to their incremental impact on the business. And so they focus on performance incentives, but a performance incentive has nothing to do with success of the company. It has everything to do with what can I do to look good? And if the company grows great, but, like you're talking about, I can make rain. I would say, I know I'll try to be nicer because Nick is texting me. He's like, bro, you can't talk like this and then get on like two things. So like the animal Shackleford inside my head, just trying to be a little bit, Oh, look at who just popped in Nick. As I said, <laughs> Shackleford, we were just like, talking about him. <laughs> quite literally. It was just like, Nick, you can't be talking like this. So let me try to phrase it another way. Nick it's funny. I literally just edited myself based on our messages. And then you pop in like, uh, then ears are burning. I love it. Um, <laughs> I will say this. I think there are a lot of people to use the analogy you used earlier, John, about people that can make it rain. I think there's a lot of folks that were dancing so long that ultimately what they did well was be around when it rained. Hmm. And there's a lot of folks that ultimately their claim to fame as a quote unquote rainmaker is their ability to sign the client that, uh, that, that is successful. The, you, their ability to see that there's a rainstorm coming anyway. Sure. And, 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 and get it, in and, with that client, you know, that yeah. it's like, Hey, it's going to rain for them anyway. If I get in right here, it's going to seem like I made it rain. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, to, to, the, to that point, Oh, I, I guess it was, it was, it was muted on this thing. Uh, no, no, Ron. Okay. You've been, you been muted. You've been muted this whole time. Uh, yeah. Oh, my bad. Oh, well, anyway, uh, I just realized actually, but you're good. You're okay. Good. Well, there we go. My bad. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that. Anyway, point being, um, interesting. So what, the, what was Nick listening to last five minutes? Who knows? Yeah. Sure. Uh, love you, Nick. Uh, my point here is that I think I, I've been in a situation where I've been attached to brands that were successful, whether or not I was there. And I think there are a lot of 
brands that don't need paid social to be successful, but they need somebody to handle the paid social. To be fair, as a paid social guy, I've hired email marketers. Like mm -hmm. one of our friends is one of the people that I've hired for under outfit. Yeah. And do I know if that person is the best in the world? No. Do I have confidence they're going to do the job as they describe? Yeah. And I just need an executor. And sometimes that's okay. Right. So, so that's essentially where you disagree with my statement that uh, your, your client, client uh, incentives and agency incentives will never be fully aligned. That's why you disagree because well, in, some, in some cases, the agency literally is just there to be an executor. And it's like, we're paying you X for Y deliverable or service. And, you know, and so like, it's a good relationship. And my point is, my point is, yeah, that's a good relationship that works for a time. That's exactly what I mean. I did, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't use agencies. I'm not saying agencies can't be helpful or useful, or in some cases, in many cases, a, a better option than trying to do something yourself that you don't know how to do. What I'm saying is that the agency incentivization model is not aligned with the client incentivization model. So even if you're hiring an e email agency, they're not incentivized if you own the brand the same way you are. They're not incentivized to, to grow the brand or to grow the uh, contribution margin or to grow. They're incentivized to execute what you've paid them to execute as efficiently as possible. By as efficiently as possible, I mean with as little human resource dedicated as sure. possible to give you to do the to do the job that you know the way that they've said that they're going to do it. So that's my point. Is that I yeah I, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but I also. I also think there's another way of contract uh, of running your contracts and ways that I've done it when I was building agencies. Like I built several seven figure agencies. As, the years. Yeah, specifically as a paid media agency. Specifically as a paid media agency, where actually what I did was I constructed my contracts differently. Okay. And yeah, I did a great interview with uh, this woman, uh, Cynthia Sandoval um, at the, at the Whaley's. Um, and, and here's the contract construction is I'm taking a flat fee. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking a commission on ad spend. I have no performance incentive, but my flat fee is going up on a consistent cadence. Let's say for instance, I'm charging you for the purpose of this conversation, $2,000. And every three months, I'm going to raise that rate by 500. Mm -hmm. My job in that scenario is to have you be like, oh, it's only 500. That's great mm -hmm. because I can prove my value. Now, we could also say this is 10 grand. I'm going to raise it by a thousand a month. Like, I mean, it's, it's relative. I'm just throwing a number out there. It doesn't really matter because not yeah. all, not everybody listening can get the $50,000 a month, you know, $10,000 a month, even $5,000 a month contracts. Like, yeah. so let's just say it's relative, but my job is to basically make it so that when that bill goes up, you're stoked because really my job as a paid media person has nothing to do with spend your X money at X ROAS. Like that is nothing to do with success. My job is to turn the, especially in paid social, is make the amplification of your business model something that you don't need to worry about so that your business grows so that when my billings go up, you don't think twice about it. And I've done that over and over again, where from the agency side, you massively scale revenue without scaling workload. And from the client side, those costs are known. And there's no bill at the end of the month and there's no conflict around like ad spend. And I don't care about attribution or credit or anything. Like what's my ROAS? I don't care. Did us working together net positive for your business? Are you making more money now than when we started? Am I the reason that there's a struggle in your business? If not, I'm going to go along with you. Okay. And I've taken that to easily five or 10 X billings over several years for agencies. So and then how, how much then, how much effort then are you putting into that? Like if, if it's like, Hey, you know, <clears throat> our initial rate is $2,000 for uh, per month or $3,000 per month. Let's sure. say $3,000 per month for three months. And then it's going to go up by $500 uh, per month, you know, sure. and until it hits, I don't know if you put caps on this or if it's just I like, mean, no, forever. Uh, it's basically forever. Right. Okay. Cause like, so it could go this. up to 50 grand, right? It could sure, go up not to a problem. Here's si why. 60 Here's grand. Why. But but hold on, listen, before you yeah. get into it, 
like it could go up to 50 or 60 grand. How much, uh, how much are you putting, how much like resource are you putting into it on a month to month basis, uh, 18 months in 24 months in? I mean, if you're you, doing a job, less and less resources each week. So like then, job right, so then me, that should take a, an hour or two a week max. So then me as an eight, as a brand owner, like if I start to get to where I'm paying you $20,000, $25,000 a month, and it's taking less and less resource from you every week. And it's pretty clear, like what the resource is. You're just, it's like, oh, you're putting new creatives into there. Uh, and you're telling me how you're breaking down what creatives you're putting into there. Wouldn't I just, wouldn't the right thing for me to do, like the smart business decision to be like, I should hire that in-house instead of paying, you know, half a million dollars a year at some point uh, to someone else to do sure. it. And I could hire a pretty high level person in-house to do it. Um, sure. Maybe even a person who's been trained by this person. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong thing to do, but it goes to the point of your job when you're hired as a paid media person, say it's paid social for the purpose of this conversation, running Facebook ads as an agency for, for this example, my job isn't to spend X money at X row ads. My job is to help the business grow. So like, if the question is, well, right now we're spending 2000 a day. Why isn't it three? What's wrong in the business? I'm actually being, inst I'm installing myself effectively as CMO day one of you bringing me on to run your ads because mm -hmm. it is in my best interest to figure out why the ad spend isn't more. Like when I used to run bigger agencies, the first page of the report wasn't, this is how much we spent in the return. It was like, say it's a million bucks. This is what we could have done with five. Second page, this is what we could have done with two. Third page. This is what we did with a million. How much money, how much more money do you not want to make next year or mm -hmm. next month or next quarter, next term? So, and they say, well, we can't spend that much because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, let's go fix that. Like, just because your execution in the platform is only a couple hours, it doesn't mean that your responsibility in trying to figure out how to grow the business doesn't actually require more time. It's that the in the platform execution is 3% of the job. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I, my yeah. investment in the business and the clients executionally and pushing buttons. To, and to be fair, I didn't ask you how much resource you're putting into running the platform. I asked you sure. how much resource are you putting in? Uh, okay, to, fair to, enough. So I very much understood that. So yeah. yeah, to that point, I'm hopefully putting in less over time. Like if I'm doing my job right, but there are also going to be times where we have to work harder. There are times where we don't have to work as much, mm -hmm. right? Like if it's the middle of February and CPMs are fantastic, maybe you don't have to work nearly as hard as like the middle of April when everybody's saying, oh, the world is over, but it's like, it happens the same thing every single year. Mm -hmm. Like there are things to this. And, and to be fair, if you're good at your job as a manager, your employees and the systems you build should operate better and better even without you. And to be fair, if it graduates to where you don't need me, that's mm -hmm. great. That's success. And if I end up losing a client because ultimately they don't need me after we've gone from 10,000 to 50, the work that I've done there has easily brought me in other opportunities. And, and so so I've, I mean, Shaq's on the, on the Twitter space right now. We've talked about this before where we have had clients for multiple years and it was like, and, and we can very, in a very real way, not say like, oh, we weren't just there when it rained. Like it rained because of us, right? Like this sure. business had these pivotal moments because of like, you know, whether it was in ad account or whether it was just our input or whether it was like, we should rework our offer, or we should rework our product mix, whatever. Right. Yeah. Our input led to some step growth in the business. This has happened. And then sometimes the, the client gets to a point where they move on. Like it honestly, because of how much they're paying us now, you know, it makes sense for them to hire that in-house. It's like, if I'm going to pay you know, you, Charlie, whoever, when my agency, you know, half a million dollars a year 
uh, and what they're doing is they're essentially acting as my like, you know, my outsourced CMO. It's like, well, okay, but now you're paying them half a million dollars a year. And you know what you can actually afford is a, a real CMO, yeah. A real in-house CMO. And sure. that that is all I'm saying. Okay. So again, I'm not saying don't use agencies. I'm not saying the relationship can't work for a time. It totally can. And up like I've had I grew an agency, I built an agency, I sold it. And then I ran performance for structured. And like I, you know, I love the agency world. All I'm saying is that that by definition makes it so that the agency is is not aligned from an incentive standpoint. Because as people, when that would happen, we would feel like, hey, you know, like it's a little bittersweet, right? Because it's like, okay, sure. well, they're not going to be with us anymore. But like, I almost feel like they graduated, right? So like yeah. there's that sweet side to it too. But like, to, I mean, if you're just looking at your agency business on a on a spreadsheet, it's it's all better. It's not like you know you lost a whole lot off of off of your top line, you know, and, and yeah. probably some off of your bottom line as well. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm I'm totally saying like the best agencies, the most uh, the most uh, moral agencies do it like that, right? Sure. And they they acknowledge that at some point you're going to move on, right? Yeah. But 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 again, it's just you know not an aligned incentive model now. You know, if we if you get to a point, some agencies try and do this thing where it's like they're going to take an equity piece of the business. And I've even heard you say that before, like, you know, I'll run your marketing department for an equity piece of the business. And I think the reason that you're doing that is because ultimately, you know, it's more aligned, you know, it's a more aligned model. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that agencies are bad. Yeah. And I'm not saying agencies are bad either. And I feel like I, I do come off aggressively with 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 uh with be fair those are the words that i'm using and the people that are seeing it so i get it yeah. and i'm trying to get better at that as a person i get it yeah. um so i agree with you that i think ultimately there is a potential to outgrow that relationship because an ad agency is a service business yeah but some service businesses like the relationship can change, but I would push back and say, like, if your job, if you look at it as you said, oh, I'm losing top line. And and in that scenario, you're a hundred percent right. But if we have five clients for $2,000 a piece, when we're starting off, right, and we're making 10 K a month, first off, mazel tov to you if you're doing 10k a month that's fantastic you convinced five people to put the future of their dreams in your hands and that's amazing if you grow a couple of those to five six or ten thousand etc and you lose one looking back at it you might lose that ten thousand dollar a month client mm -hmm. but your net grew from ten thousand a month to like 50 or 60. so you lost a little bit but also the quality of the relationship. And when you start somebody new, they don't necessarily start at the bottom. So I, I mean, there's, there's all of that. There's all of that. Yeah. I'm just saying from the client perspective, from the client perspective, it's like, you know, at some point in your future, it's probably gonna make a lot of sense to not be working with your current agency anymore. Sure. I would also say that to play devil's advocate, I think we look at that from the perspective of people who are good at it. And yeah. that's, that's a great point because you could hire a CMO, you know, for less than $500,000 a year, maybe, and they might not actually be good at it. Like I have, I have this assumption that people know what they're doing all the time. You tweet a lot of things and I'll be, that are like controversial and I'll be like, hold on. And I'll like give you a scenario and you'll be like, and you'll be like, yeah, okay, fine. In that scenario, like, but they have to, that person has to understand like how to fit attribution into their brain. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, I just work from the, from the standpoint of like all the high level people I know do understand that. You know what sure. I mean? So, so and, like, and I, that's, that, that's a great point. I do have a tendency to assume that people like know what I know. Right. Yeah. And that's and, not true. Yes. Yeah. And to be fair, I'm going to give you a quote here. One of my favorite quotes that changed the way I think about the world. It was Hank Azaria on the Mark Marin WTF podcast. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I'm at the same time wildly overpaid and also criminally underpaid for my job. Yeah. And his point was, so Hank Azaria is one of the voices of the Simpsons. He's basically one out of four characters in the history of the Simpsons. Yeah. 
Now, let's say for the purpose of this conversation, he's making $5 million a year, which is fantastic considering he spends about two weeks a year in a vocal booth. And he makes $5 million for two weeks. That is incredible. Yeah. It's a good rate. Good hourly rate. Good rate. Yes. Solid. <laughs> but he's one quarter of the cast of a billion-dollar company. Yeah. And what's the difference between $5 million and a billion dollars? It's a lot. About a billion dollars. My point is... <laughs> Nearly a billion, yes. Yeah, very close. Uh, my point to that is... You said, oh, if I'm paying the CMO like 500 grand, I could hire somebody. Mm -hmm. But if we extrapolate that out where, let's say you brought me... Let's say you brought in an agency in at $10,000 a month. And they increased their billings $2,000 a month. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a 2000 a quarter, whatever it happens to be the amount of cycles and your growth that would take to get to that, like half a million a year means that you as a business, and I, I've seen this happen. I've been a part of this so many times where I came in, I came into 310 nutrition. They were doing like 18 million, mm -hmm. 20 months later, we were doing 98. Yeah. Right. Like under outfit, right. It was 50 K a month. Then it was 250 a month. Now it's a million a week. The point is, uh, yeah. is that really, I guess well, it, it makes sense. What you, yeah, go oh, ahead. Yeah. It's ahead. just, is that really the problem you need to solve? Like it, is bringing on an inside CMO to save money a good idea? If that's not the problem you have. So I would say, yeah. And, and so I really quick, I want to acknowledge the Twitter space. I saw that we have someone requested to speak. So we're doing a live recording of the pod of, of my podcast right now. So I'm going to try and get a clean recording. Uh, and then we'll maybe just do some, a couple minutes in the Twitter oh, space. Bring them in. Let's have some fun when we're done with this. Yeah. 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 So trying to get a clean recording. So sit tight for one second. If you, if you're requesting to speak, we will bring you on um, after we're out on the pod. So yeah, but to, to your point, I think, it's, it's a good point because essentially you're, what you're saying is like, okay, I get that you're paying me $500,000, $600,000 a year now, but like your business does 50 million or a hundred million a year. Like you really care, like you really like care that much about bringing me from five or 600,000 and saving, you know, a couple hundred thousand and doing 300,000. Like when we're the ones who've gotten you like, may, like, what if that's a detriment? What if that slows your growth curve or what if that person you know doesn't isn't aligned whatever yeah the opportunity uh, cost of saving 200 grand on a nine-figure business is abs absolutely bad investment you're you're not wrong you're not, not wrong. wrong but you're not wrong but uh i think that there's another side of it too that when a company grows to 100 million an outsourced CMO, like they do get to a point where an outsourced CMO just doesn't really cut it anymore. Like somebody's got to be there. Somebody's got to breathe sure. the business a little bit more. So again, I'm working from a space of like, assume it's one of your students. You know what I sure. mean? Assume it's someone who's like, they're going to come in, they're going to know what they're doing. So assuming they can get that person who knows what they're doing, I think at, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, you're going to, you need someone. It's not a, a, fully a money saving thing. It's like aligning somebody wholly to your incentives as a company sure. and, and making that their main thing. Um, I think in and an something ideal that you said earlier, that's probably where the, the, the equity deal comes into play because now you're hiring a partner. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the, if the exit on that relationship when they graduate is now you have an equity piece in that business and you as the agency owner moving more into being an equity partner. Yeah. So we've tried that. So, so that's what, cause we thought that same thing, it's structured for a while where it's like, oh, like, okay, once they get to a certain point and they're ready to get like, why don't we just start to take equity pieces and, and stuff like that. And then like maybe work with them a little more closely. The problem is once they get to 50 or hundred million, they don't want to give up equity so easily anymore. Like they would have given you some equity when it was like a million. Um, sure. But they, yeah, it, it gets a little bit harder to get, uh, get them to give up any equity piece at that point. So, uh, yeah. and, and then even then you could try and buy in, but it's like, that's a much bigger, like you're, you're talking about a whole different business model of like venture capital trying yeah, to buy hundred million dollar businesses. So and to be fair, if you've raised somebody from three million to five to fifty million, like if you waited that long to yeah. buy into the equity, it's more way more cost effective for them to never give you it. Right. Yes. Like and you could have bet on yourself a little bit earlier, but that's always hindsight. Like there's tough. no way to know that. Like you, you know, I've been lucky in the equity deals where I had where basically like that was on the table because of the relationship. Yeah. Or we said, Hey, look, this doesn't make sense to do this out to do this monthly thing. And 
for what it's worth, most equity deals that I construct are based around as the equity vests, yeah, the rate drops and inverse in an inverse relationship. So we're simpatico as it grows. I I am. We do have one person requesting to speak in Twitter Spaces. If you have any thoughts on this agency deal structuring, because I think we're kind of on the same page here, where we're saying like. Yeah. Okay. Look, in terms of financial incentives, it doesn't fully align. Right. But like there's ways to make it work a lot better in yeah. some ways that it doesn't work very well at all. Right. So if anybody has, if anyone else has cracked this, I'd be very interested. And this is something that I've had endless conversations with Mr. Shackelford about like, <laughs> how still... do we, how do we actually align? Because it's like, we want to do great work for our clients, of course. But, but the best way to grow our business is actually to do much more processized work for our clients. That's going to give them, you know, it's, it's just not specific to them every time. Right. You know, um, sure. so, or, or to focus in on one thing, like, Hey, let's, you know, get really efficient at running ad accounts, but not really dig into their business because it takes, somebody with a brain to be able to dig into different businesses and understand like what's going to be the big growth levers here. So yeah, and I that's think ultimately that's your business model, right? Like if you make the choice that we're going to handle accounts at scale, that could be one model. Your model might also be, we're going to stay small and yep. just buy into equity where you're effectively, you're effectively a media buyer rent to buy to VC type of relationship. <laughs> like right, yeah. I've seen those things work tremendously well. I, I think there's, <laughs> and to be fair, what we're talking about is different ways to be successful and happy. And yeah, some of those bake in depreciation. Some yeah. of them bank on your hit rate's going to be low, but I think it's about risk divers think, diversification. Yeah. yeah I, I think it, it clarified for me more when I stepped away from agency or when, you know, since I've part of ways was structured and it's like, uh, like I'm doing more now of like, I'm only working with a couple brands as sort of like this fractional CMO. And, and for most of them, some form of equity is on the table or some form of partnership with my own company that will mutually grow. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, we're going to like they're going to come on as uh, we're, we're going to collab with them uh, with one of our podcasts or something like that. You know, and, and so there's going to be some kind of mutual growth there. Um, and I think that's where it really like, OK, but the way that I'm it's like very tight and it's like the best way I've seen to grow an agency if you want to grow an agency is to go get more clients. And if you're not doing that, you are in some degree, you are to some degree sacrificing your own business and your own like kind of growth and in, in, for something else, you're, you know, whether that's your perceived, like the quality of service you provide, which uh, it's a noble thing and it might make you happier to do better work for fewer clients. Uh, but like at, at, to some degree, you're, you're like actually kind of, acting in a way that's like counter to your financial incentives as, as a company. Um, sure. But I, it, I, I, would, I would push back on that just one second. And I know we have people here, so we can, we can go to them yeah. when you, whenever you're ready. I, got, I, have, I have a couple more things I want to hit oh, on. Okay, yeah. Cool. Cool. Go ahead. I, yeah. I didn't want to like step on your toes and just keep people waiting. Cause I didn't want to be that yeah. guy. Um, so about what you were saying, I don't disagree. I yeah. would say though, that I know plenty of people that run businesses that have a lot of revenue that don't make much more money than when they were working a lot less. Uh, yeah. And the revenue oh, of the business has nothing to do with the take home of the people that run the business. Like I remember working at a company that I took to an eight figure business, like 50 million plus where my day job plus the little agency I started on the side at my desk. I yeah. took home more from the agency than with than three clients. Yep. No, Shaq, Shaq and I talked about this the last time he was on the podcast. Uh, there's a, there's a point with especially media buying agencies and, and a lot of times they'll, they'll book time with me on mentor pass and it's purely because I was at structured. Right. And they'll be like, how did you do it? How did you grow structured like this? And, and I'll be like, you know, I'll ask him a couple questions and pretty quickly I'll be like, Oh, okay. So you've got right now, they won't have told me any of this information. I'll be like, right now you have about three team members. Right. And you got, somewhere between seven and 12 clients between three team members. And they're like, yeah, yeah. How do I scale? And I'm like, you're making more personal income now than you will like four or five times this size. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you're having more fun and you're doing better work. So step number one, ask yourself if you want to scale it. Um, 
and, and I think somebody in the chat just said, is moving up market not possible? I think it's it's a whole other well, right? Like it, it's based on an unproven premise that we can go get a completely different kind of client that we than we haven't gotten in the past. We don't even know where they hang out or how to talk to them yet if this is the kind of client that we've gotten, right? Especially sure. if you already have 50, 60 mouths to feed in your agency. Um, I do want to move on from this because I want to call out a couple tweets Let's uh, do it. that we're going to, that we're going to maybe argue about, or maybe not. Oh, I love it. Let's, I feel like spicy meatballs are coming and I've got no pasta. Yes. No pasta. Okay. <laughs> uh, tweet number one, seeing a lot of really nice guys, quote unquote, running companies, uh, that an F ton, sorry, I try not to swear, uh, but you can swear. I, I, I it's okay. Once, I apologize. It's okay if you swear, I just try not to. That that a ton of harm, that do a ton of harm to brands um, and the careers of marketers. They run agencies, have masterminds, et cetera. Uh, so curious, would you rather spend your time engaging with a nice guy with bad advice, an honest guy with great advice, an alpha male, an alpha male with, with bad advice, or with dog shit advice? Uh, you know there what you I mean? Go. So, so my first question is, there's a lot of smoke to some unnamed people there. Are you willing to call anybody out? It's okay. I it's okay because at this point, they've probably blocked you on Twitter anyway. I mean, so maybe. Apparently, I've got that thing was going around about how many people have blocked you. And apparently, I haven't seen a screenshot with more than me. So I guess I win. I yeah. Know. Uh, no, I, I think I'll be honest. I, I feel like Twitter is its own universe. And yeah. there's the YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. But I think in person, these types of folks are the people in the business know who they are. And I don't feel like it's I don't want to go out there and hurt somebody in that way. I think if you had asked me two years ago, a year ago, I would have just rambled off a just list this and smoke. thrown savage fire. But like, I'm trying to be a better person <laughs> um, because ultimately, I've also realized that like the more polarizing I can there's a there's a path of growth of polarization yeah but in my ultimate goal of providing help and helping people to see more success and creating more opportunity if i put myself in a position where people aren't able to hear what i'm saying then no matter how good my intentions are i'm ultimately never going to get there so what i will say is this the people in the business know well, let me ask you, do you think they do? Because I I think sometimes people drink their own Kool-Aid. Oh, sure. I think they don't they don't realize maybe that the advice that they're well, giving I is like overgeneralized. I, I I legitimately don't think that the biggest offenders of this are aware of it. I know. But I think I they just think that that's how it's done. And they, 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 yeah, they might think that's how it's done. They might think that what they're doing is good, and from their perspective. They're giving, they're trying to be helpful and that's great. Right. I appreciate And that's that. why you don't want to give them the smoke. Well, because <laughs> if somebody was out there being malicious, uh -huh. I think I'd have an opinion. And I think that the malicious folks that I've seen are the ones I don't talk to anymore because they flat out blocked me years ago, uh -huh. uh, to be completely fair. Um, and also like, I don't think there's very many straight malicious folks in the business that are ultimately successful because if you're at your core malicious in nature you're never going to grow nearly the place of at your core being helpful whether or not your help is good or bad is a, is, is a subjective view but if you're if you're a dick you're not going to grow nearly as much as if you help people interesting take from you uh Fair, I, look i promise <laughs> Like it says on the thing, I'm a nice guy. I just, yeah. it comes across aggressive just because, and I'll be fair, like what spawned this like little string of tweets that I did Yeah. was in about maybe a 10 to 12 day basis. I think I saw 15 new students in disruptor school or clients of students in disruptor school where the students like booked one-on-one -on -one consulting time with me. And, you know, I do that a lot where we were literally just dissecting the same like five agencies. Like, and I, I probably know who they are. You, I guarantee that all of these are names you've heard of. Yeah. And or or, or worked at. No. And to be fair, these are good people. Like, yeah. Like, I think there's, there's just because somebody doesn't agree with you doesn't mean you have to demonize them either. Like, like uh, you can really disagree with somebody about all this stuff and then go out for sushi and like be friends. That's fine. I, 
yeah. So, so I mean, I, if you're not going to give the smoke, then, then we can move on. We can uh, move on. Okay. I'll say this. I didn't take the bait. Let's try the next one. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Right, right. by the end of this. I'll, I'll say this about it. I think that to me, I don't really follow anyone that I feel that way about. The only person I would follow who I would say like, oh, I, I take issue with a lot of the things they say on Twitter is you. So <laughs> fair enough. I'll take yeah. it. I'm honored that of the, of all that, that I, that I hold that singular place. Because yeah. I think that also means that you have a certain, I have a certain little place in your heart. And there's, thank you for that. Yeah. Now. That you have a, you have a certain like way to make me just like distract my whole day to think of arguments to what you're saying. I love uh, it. Here's, here's one more tweet I want to hit, hit on from you okay? because I, I, here's one, I hard disagree here. Um, and then right after this, we'll get into letting people who have requested to speak on Twitter spaces speak. So then we can talk about all this stuff, you know, as a group, um, we'll wrap up the pod and we can talk about all this stuff as a group. Fantastic. Here, here's the tweet. Let's go. And this is, I think you have a tendency to speak in absolutes when it's not an absolute. So here's the tweet. Okay. Three numbers that make your business worse. Yeah. When they go up. Yep. ROAS, click-through rate, number of creative tests. Yeah. I've been asking before I rip it, before I rip it, explain yourself. Um, yeah, I, I will stand by that because I can't really think of a situation where those don't hold true. So holy crap. You can't think of a single situation where the ROAS goes up and the business doesn't get worse. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Like I've seen oh that gosh. so much. Come on, come on. Okay, all right, all right. I will say this: if you are a business that is not trying to grow, but is only trying to maximize efficiency, and you have a singular marketing channel, in that case, which I can think of theoretically, but can't think of a single example of, then yes, that's a good thing. I would even say, like, the reason your ROAS goes up is really like one of three things. Number one, you're taking way less incremental revenue from your paid media. So you basically just have more maybe retargeting ads that are sharing credit for a sale with email campaigns and Google. So your ROAS goes I mean, up. You're, you're making so many assumptions about the reasons the ROAS is going. Sure. I mean, I'm just giving one example. Yeah, okay. Um, like maybe your ROAS is going up. I would say that's also maybe not good for your business, in, in other places, because if you legitimately are making more money for your paid media efforts, mm -hmm. and that is ultimately growing your business, and that is solid, and your objective is also growth, what you're telling me is, I am proud of myself for collating untapped potential mm -hmm. in a way where I'm missing the opportunity to take advantage of it. So that's a huge risk. Yeah, so I can think of many situations where the ROAS has gone up and the business has been better because of it. Uh, specifically, you know, like uh, brands where a lot of the value is tied up in the first purchase, right? So just inherently, a lot of the value is tied up in the first purchase. Sure. Uh, microphone that I use, right? Sure. Or like probably not going to buy another microphone from them. Um, or basically any kind of backyard game, Crossnet, uh, Cornhole, those kinds of things. Lots of the value tied up in the first purchase. And typically what happens is the ROAS gets better and it's like, oh, we have more room for scale and they scale into it, right? The yeah. ROAS getting better is just a signal that they have more room for scale and then they scale into it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I can think of a lot of situations where the ROAS gets, goes up and the business gets better because of it. Furthermore, even if they don't scale into it, I think of a lot of situations where it's like we're literally selling out of all of our inventory all the time, right? Yeah, so that's a huge problem. That's the row has go the row has going up in that case until we get that problem fixed is making the business better because it's giving us more working capital. Yeah, but in, in that in that use case, for instance, that's a ton of use cases that happens so much with growing. Sure, business. yeah, but that tells me you've got a tremendous business problem, and sure. like what you've done is. Not only but you the ROAS going up didn't make it worse. The ROAS going up didn't make it worse. You already had it. Sure, but it highlighted it and it, made, and it amplified the issue. Because <laughs> now you're running out of inventory faster when, like, like so. It's true. You should run worse ads and run out of inventory slower. It's a great. Point. I'm not saying. Well, also, I don't think ROAS has anything to do with the quality of the ads. That's also a complete myth. Like, in my opinion, because let's break this down. What is ROAS? ROAS is 
AOV, which probably we can't control, divided by like the attributed revenue from ad spend, which means ultimately you have to trust attribution and be able to track a customer journey. I can't tell you like, like so, so there's a, a number you can't control divided by a number you can't trust gives you really, really bad information to take action on. So like if you roll, let me ask so, this. So, you so what you're saying is that it's not, so what you're saying that is that ROAS isn't as unrelated to business success. Yeah. So I then how say, can ROAS going up make it worse if it's unrelated to business success? Because often when your ROAS goes up, that cues poor decision-making. <laughs> and I can't tell you like so many businesses make poor decisions and compound the issues they have because they're looking at out of context metrics and definitions of success to make decisions. Like if your ROAS is good on an ad, what are you going to do? Spend more money on it? Potentially. Like I, mean, I, I think that a lot of people have the maturity to know what ROAS is at this point or what CPA yeah. or, or how much they can trust any given metric in any given platform now. I mean, maybe not a few years ago, but now I, I think a few a lot years of ago had the same lack of validity. Yeah. I well, don't know that. I bet, but we're not speaking about a few years ago. We're speaking sure. about now. Speaking now, about I think a lot of the people have a lot of people have enough maturity to know, like, just because any given platform, whether it's your attribution tool or the platform, the Facebook platform or whatever, says something does not mean it's true, right? And so proceed with caution no matter what. Uh, so, so most people are are using true internal metrics like contribution margin or whatever, you know, uh, profitable scaling margin or something like that. Sure. So, so I, I would say that that's describes a lot of use cases now. I do want to move off of this topic a little bit. Sure. It's, okay. But, but one more thing. I think CTR is unrelated to business success. And so I don't think CTR grow, going up can make your business worse. I think I would disagree. It's just, I think it's just unrelated. I would disagree. And here's why. I was having this conversation with somebody today. Why does your CTR go up? Generally, your CTR goes up. You think it's because the ad's better. Generally, your CTR goes up because the denominator gets smaller. CTR is clicks divided by impressions. If your ad is good, your impression count, the denominator will grow at a rate linearly faster than the numerator will. So yeah. a good ad that's good for your business will inherently have, depending on the business objective of that ad. You believe it'll have a lower CTR because it'll reach more people who are less relevant. Yeah, if my ad is good, I'm gonna have a lower CPM because your cost of inventory is directly dependent on your relationship with the platform and meeting the business objectives. So if my CTR goes up because I have an ad that has a great ROAS, probably what's happening is mm -hmm. I'm smashing my mid and bottom funnel in a way that is not sustainable and I'll get a great ROAS to the point where I go out of business. So here's, yes. Okay. That's actually like a way better, I think, defense, more defensible way to say it than than what you Fair have to realize. Gotcha. This is, well, I have so right. many characters. <clears throat> but but the I, I I the main thing I disagree with and I think the th issue a lot of people have with you on Twitter is the absolute. Like in every circumstance when the CTR goes up the business gets worse, right? I, there's no way that that's absolutely true 100% of the time. Like sure. you know what so, I'm saying? I mean if we're saying there's but no it, absolutes, but then... but it's not as it's not like on Twitter. What are you going to say? Like most of the time, you know what I mean. I get you know, it. It's... I don't have four thousand characters. Nobody reads the threads I put out anyway. Right, so like, right. if I can get like the honest truth is, and I'll, I'll be completely like open kimono about this. <laughs> what that does is that's inspiring a conversation for somebody to think about something in a way, and the that's reactions right. and the conversation that come off of that, I think, are incredibly important because like for instance if i didn't tweet that we wouldn't have this conversation we wouldn't put those things into context you might still have people thinking that a really good ROAS and a really good ctr is great when they're chasing that they ultimately go out of business because they don't have any more revenue well yeah i mean so so what i like what you brought up with ctr it's important like if you have a good if you care about ctr which i think most people just don't but and i would say by the way this is on facebook ctr yeah. not so it's in it's yeah, in like the in Google C economy of attention, not supply and demand economy of like display. And, and Google CTR is like a positive. Totally. And I want to preface policy. that because I'm not but, sitting here saying that this is true for email or right. like Google. <laughs> right? Like those things, CTR is good. 
but but it, it, it's a good point to say that if you were paying attention to CTR, which I just happen to think most people aren't, but if you were, uh, like look at your frequency, right? Because maybe it's good because your denominator is small and it's just not getting served to more people, which doesn't mean it's a good ad. It doesn't mean you can scale that ad. It's a great point, actually. And I'm glad. So yes, to your point, I'm glad you tweet the controversial things that I argue with in my brain so that we can have a conversation can challenge the status quo that they've been taught in a way that makes them better. That's great. And to be fair, I've had my mind changed about a lot of things because of the conversations that have been inspired. Like what? <laughs> I have never. <laughs> I mean, I used to think that like, I mean, this goes back to probably more offline stuff than things that happen on Twitter. Okay. I okay. came to Twitter more of a fully developed, like having a fully developed opinion about stuff. Yeah. But if you were to be a fly on the wall for me and Marina Randolph, the former VP of Gutley Ranker, who was my boss at 310 Nutrition, we would argue for hours in the morning and then go out for sushi about yeah. stuff where I was wrong probably 90% of the time. Yeah. And like one of the easy, one of the biggest things that I did was I'd make like a Facebook report. I'd make a paid media report with all paid channels where I was defining success as ROAS, for instance. And, yeah. and if you really want to get at me about Roaz not being right, well, like Marina has a lot to do with me being a better marketer than that. And for instance, I just posted this picture of me on Snapchat, Snapchat headquarters where like I was dropping mm -hmm. six figures a month and I legit got emotional and was written up by Marina on a day that nobody wanted to have a conversation because it was wasting a million dollars on Snap ads because of the metrics that people think are important. Right. No, I mean, look, it's, I, I, so, so we do, we have a tradition at, at, on the modern commerce podcast of closing out with what we call a parting shot. Okay. Um, and I've got it today. I I'll take it today. Uh, so get, yeah, Casey, give me me in full screen on, on the, <laughs> on the thing. There we go. All right. So my parting shot today, if you take one thing away from this, my, the biggest thing I would say that you can take away here is <clears throat> debate and, and disagreement is healthy. Right. So it, as long as everybody is coming from a place of good intention and everybody is just trying to win and win together, you know, one of my favorite people, the people who listen, listens to this podcast uh, says, you know, there's there's enough for everybody to eat. And that that's just the truth. Right. So if you disagree, if you if you're debating, if you're just, you know, arguing with somebody, as long as you guys are both coming from a place of good intention and trying to, you know, help the industry, trying to help yourselves, trying to learn, I think debate is a healthy thing yeah all right yeah let's no, do it I, I i love it and i'll agree with it and what i will say is i love that you and i can have these types of conversations yeah. with a lot of other people that i have these conversations with it and i want more of this engagement because the honest truth is neither of us learn anything from being told that we're right yeah well, Charlie, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, everybody, if you're on your, if you're on YouTube, you can check out. I, I linked his channel up in the description. Um, it's CT Disruptor on YouTube. He's got a pretty good YouTube channel. It's all right. It's pretty good, I guess. Um, no, man. Hey, look, you know, I'm I'm, I'm doing a thing. I was like, <laughs> yeah, he's doing some stuff over there. Um, you check it out. You know, yeah, it's, it's it helpful if you want to learn how to do digital marketing. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. I should pitch it a little bit. Oh, better. thanks. You know, um, it's all, all credit due to Dara Denny. She gave me her editor, and I exploded afterwards. So. I know. I met that dude. Dara. He seems pretty. He seems pretty legit. I, Miguel is legit. If you want a video editor, I'll give you his information. Like, I don't make anything off of it, but he's a dude that's doing really good work. Yeah, and he can handle more bandwidth. So, so I can only shoot so many videos a week. Definitely check out uh, Charlie's YouTube channel. And, and here's, here's what I'll say about uh, the Disruptor School. Uh, I think that what you're trying to do, you're trying to put a good product out into the world. My, what my disclaimer for Disruptor School, before you just go and buy in and become a Disruptor School student, consume Charlie's content somewhere. Totally. Uh, right. Because if you go in not having known and not, not really knowing what you're stepping into, it's going to feel like a minefield. Uh, yeah, I will 100% agree with that. And I don't want your money right away. Absorb all the free stuff. Like the, I would say personally, my goal is to have my free stuff be competitive with what most people are charging for. And when you're ready for more, you can come to me for that. Yeah, absolutely. So everything should be linked up in the description of the podcast app or the Spotify or the whatever you're listening on or watching on. Uh, 
If you are on one of the audio apps, please rate and review. That's very, very helpful for us. If you are on YouTube, please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when we go live and have discussions like this. Charlie, it's been good having you. Uh, really enjoyed it. We'll sign off on the podcast now and we'll head over to the Twitter live. Thanks, man.